man, I'm so giddy like a little kid. I'm so honored to be here this evening. But real quick, can you guys just give one more time some love to your pastor, Pastor Mark. Come on, show him some love. You guys, it is amazing the way that he is leading you all here. And not only that, I do want to give a shout out to the leadership team that is here with Lindsay and Gabby and all the coaches, the worship leaders. It is incredible what you guys have access to. And I just want to say, I have felt such a warmth and intentionality the moment that I have stepped foot on this campus. The type of environment that you guys are cultivating is very special. And so like Pastor Mark said, my name is Karina and I get to have different titles here, but I'm gonna share three of my favorite. My first one is, I get to be the wife of that very handsome man right there with a the long beard, <laughs> Vinny. <laughs> I also have a beautiful seven-year-old daughter, Amelia, and I get to be her mama, <laughs> my girl. And lastly, I have the privilege of being a part of the best student ministry team on the planet, United, leading our kids here at the Carrollwood campus. It is an honor. I need to be really real with you guys. When your pastor called and said, hey, I'd love for you to come and speak to the young adults, I was excited but also scared poopless, okay? <laughs> not gonna say the real word, don't you worry. But it's not because I wasn't sure about what I needed to say. In fact, God has been working this story in me for the past seven years. You see, it was a little over seven years ago that I found myself laying in a hospital bed, 12 weeks pregnant and dying. I didn't realize how incredibly ill I was at the time, and I was told that I probably wouldn't live long enough to carry this pregnancy to term and definitely not be alive to see her born. But you guys, what's beautiful is that for the past seven years, things that once held me chained to that painful moment has broken free in my spirit. And I have this heart of gratitude and excitement to share with you guys the realness of God's redemptive love that he has for all of us in this room. I need you to know that no matter how far you are or how close you may think you are to God, every single one of us are always going to be in deep need of his good love. So I know that I'm a guest in your house. I'm invading your space. But y'all, we got to have a family meeting, okay? And at the Lima household, when we call for a family meeting, we know ish is about to get real. We know that we're about to get real vulnerable. So I'm going to get real with you guys. And I'm going to share with you some hard stuff. But I believe that God is going to open the door that we have been missing. And it's going to give us an opportunity to receive his goodness. So... You guys right now, like Pastor Mark said, are in the middle of a, is God really in this series? And so I want to actually ask you guys, if you have your physical Bible with you, to go ahead and pull that out. If you don't, pull up your Bible app, and I want you to go to the story of Hosea. It is found in the Old Testament. And I want you guys to pull it up, whether it's with your physical Bible, if you're taking notes, write it down, because it's important that you see this story and you remember it so that when you go home tonight, you read through it. 
This story is one that I think often gets mislooked. And we're going to dive deep into that. But while you guys are finding your stuff, getting your pens, turning your pages, I want to share with you the title of tonight's message, and it's this, Joel. Can you guys say that? Joel. Listen, I like when y'all talk back to me. It helps me know that we're with it, we're trucking together. So say it with me, Joel. There we go. Joel is this, it's the participle verb of the Hebrew word galal, meaning redeemer. So in simpler terms, Joel means redeemer. And for the remainder of tonight, I want you guys to let Joel be the focal point as you listen through the story of Hosea. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. Who is my Joel? Do I believe that God is the only Joel that I need in my life? Do I know what it looks like to call on my Joel in seasons of heartache and busyness, stress and the wait? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for every individual in this room. I thank you for your goodness and the way that you have prepared our stories and our hearts for tonight. Lord, speak through the words that will be spoken this evening and do your mighty and good work in every heart in this room. In your name, amen. Amen. Okay, so Hosea. I actually really love this story because it's a little bit of a love story. Guys, don't tune me out. It's good. I promise, okay? And ladies, this love story, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little bit of a sucker for a good romance, okay? But this is way better than Bachelor in Paradise or Love is Blind. Like, this is real. This is good. All right. Hosea, just to give you some backstory, because I love to know context and understand a little bit about these different Bible stories that are within the whole entire Bible, okay? So Hosea is actually one of the first of the 12 books that are called the minor prophet books in the Old Testament. Now, here's what's really funny. When I hear that word minor, I instantly think, like, was he, like, kind of little, like mini minor? No, that's not funny. Anyways, he was not. I actually don't even know because I wasn't alive when he was. But he was called a minor prophet because his story is short, and the prophecy he lived out was short. However, the message is mighty. So do not miss that Hosea, though, is used by God in a very incredible way. You see, God literally goes and shares with Hosea through prayer and conversation that he wants to use Hosea as an illustration. He wants to use Hosea's life as a way to get the world that was going on around them, which is the people of Israel's attention. You see, at that time, Israel was a hot mess. It was actually a lot of what we are dealing with today. The social and cultural climate was not that different. It was a little bit of a really dark and very sad society. They had a lot of political issues, a lot of anger and tension. Majority of the people of Israel actually had left the church. They actually said, you know what, we're good. We've tried the God thing, but people of the church have heard us, so we're done. We've tried the God thing, but he's not listening to my prayer, so he, I'm done. And so they find themselves worshiping all of these false gods and false idols, that they are worshiping the idea of sex and sexuality. They find themselves living off of dependencies of substances. 
the people of Israel had what is described to be a stench of death. It was a godless society. And though when we think of that, we say, man, God could have very easily wiped out these people, right? Like if you know anything about the Old Testament, God had actually already saved these people and they still went back to all the things that got them in the mess to begin with. God could have wiped out these people, started with a whole new group of people. But here's the thing about God, he's compassionate. He is a redeemer. And so that wouldn't have given any satisfaction of him just to start fresh. No, he wanted to redeem the people who were lost. And so he was going to do that through the story of Hosea. Now, Hosea had a very special mission, and it was going to happen through a marriage. We're going to pick up in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. It's going to be on the screen, so you can also read along. It says this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. When I said the word promiscuous, a lot of y'all said, what? I said it too. Because I don't know if you guys have been a part of any of the dating series, but that's not something that we preach, right? Y'all are thinking, they're not equally yoked. You're right. But don't miss the point. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) God is telling him to go and do this thing. But here's the thing. Hosea is a good guy. He's a faithful one. He loved God. And so without hesitation, in the translation of ESV, it actually says, so he went. In full obedience, he went and married the girl that would not have been his first pick. He went and married the woman that everyone else said, stay away from her. She's a lost cause. But Hosea obeyed. Hosea ended up finding himself marrying this woman, and her name was Gomer. And let me just kind of describe Gomer. She was known as a very easy and loose woman. That's not how her life always was, though. Gomer was once a young girl. You can imagine that Gomer probably didn't live in the best side of town. She maybe not have had the best role models for her life. I'm pretty certain that when Gomer was sitting there maybe playing with her dolls, I highly doubt that a goal of hers was to go and become a promiscuous woman. However, as time happened and heartache happened and the messiness of life and bad decision-making, she found herself in this spot of being known as loose and easy. I want to actually tell you that Gomer's name, when you look up the definition of it, means an undesirable hospital patient. She was known to be so ill that her soul and her life had no hope. So Hosea goes up to Gomer's house, probably looking his best. Suspensers, a nice bouquet of flowers, went and bought the ring that he could afford, knocked on the door and said, hello, Gomer's dad. I'd like to marry your daughter. I can imagine because of Gomer's reputation, the dad probably laughed and say, her? You want to marry her. You know my daughter. You know what she's known for? Hosea, yes, sir. I'd like to ask her hand in marriage and be her husband for life. 
So Hosea went up to Gomer and asked for a hand in marriage, and by his surprise and even hers, she said yes. So very quickly they got married, and soon after that they had a family, because remember, God told Hosea, you need to go and marry her and now have children with her. And so very quickly they found themselves with three kids. Can you put the names of those children? On the left, you'll see the names of the children, but I want to focus on the meaning of their names. These names came from God. Hosea and Gomer didn't pick these names. The first son to be born, his definition of the name meant punishment and bloodshed because, again, God is trying to get the attention of the people of Israel. And he is trying to tell them, if you continue this way to live in a godless society, your life is only going to be filled with punishment and bloodshed. The second child to be born was a daughter. She looked a lot like her mother, but her name meant no mercy or, in some definitions, no love. When we live a life without God in it and without leaning on him as our redeemer, we have a life with no love and no mercy. And then the final child's name meant not my people. And that is because by the third pregnancy, Gomer had already went back to her old ways. She tried, you guys. She went, she bought decent clothes from JCPenney's. <laughs> she showed up to church. She praised her hands. But then she went and left and prostituted her heart to every single thing that once broke it. She didn't know what it meant to receive something good. She had a good life. She had a faithful husband, but she didn't believe that that was the life she deserved. And so God named the last son, not my people, because that was not Gomer and Hosea's son. It was the son of a man that Gomer had an affair with. When Hosea found this out, he was heartbroken, but he said, I'm committed to you. I'm gonna love you and these children. However, Gomer just, she couldn't handle it. She relapsed. I just want to say this real quick. If you are someone who struggles with addiction, please be careful with old friends. Please be cautious. Because it is so easy for us to fall immediately back into our old ways. So Gomer leaves, and not only does she leave Hosea, she leaves her three children. And you guys, as a mother... To a daughter, I couldn't imagine leaving my baby girl. I couldn't imagine leaving my husband. And it's so easy for us to sit here and judge her, to criticize her actions. But I can't help and think that I too have found myself in situations that I never thought I would be in. So I want to share a little bit about my own personal story. I was born and raised in a good and a solid and a healthy home. My parents both were Christians. I heard about God. I was the kid that would be waking up at six in the morning telling my mom I had to get to church early to get the donuts. I loved going to church, y'all. I loved God. I had what I would imagine a perfect life. But at the age of eight years old, what I thought was my perfect life was very quickly and out of nowhere disrupted with a reality check. You see, I found out that the dad who had been raising me was not my biological father, but my adopted one. 
And though now I can look and say, I'm so grateful that he is the man who loved me and raised me at eight years old, I didn't understand. How could I have a dad out there that wanted nothing to do with me? You see, my mom was married once before, and my biological father was extremely abusive. And so when the divorce was happening, she found out that she was pregnant with me. And I found out that I was a product of an abusive marriage. She gave him an opportunity to be in my life, many, but he signed away his rights. He wanted nothing to do with me. And at the age of eight years old, I carried a new name for myself, rejection. So my life continued, and I realized looking back on that now that rejection was a reoccurring label that I really cling to. I was a pretty decent kid. I made really good grades. However, that was fueled by this need of trying to mirror all the different people that I thought were perfect. I desired to be accepted. Accepted by the wrong crowd. Accepted by the wrong validations. At the age of 18 years old, I was a senior at Alonzo High School. Anyone else go to Alonzo? Go Ravens, okay. I was a senior at Alonzo. Halfway through my senior year, I had it all. I played violin, and so my goal was to go and become this like world-renowned violinist. I was gonna go and play all around the world and share about God's goodness. I had a straight A, 4.0 GPA, full-ride scholarship to the University of Tampa, and I also had my first boyfriend. Oh, snap. I started dating this boy, and from the wise counsel of my parents and my friends, they advised me highly, don't do this. This is just not going to work. But of course, I'm 18. I know everything now. I know what's good for me. And so I said, well, no, it's okay. <laughs> don't call out your friends. <laughs> so I have this boyfriend, right? And my parents are like, listen, there's a really big difference. You love God, and he doesn't. This is not going to work. And me, though, of course, I'm like, well, no, it's okay. I, I can love him hard enough to save him. Right. I'm glad y'all are smart. <laughs> They're smart. <laughs> Just kidding. But again, at 18 years old, carrying the label of rejection, I was excited because I was noticed by someone who had never noticed me before. I was noticed in a different way. I felt loved, so I thought. Before I knew it, it was in March of my senior year. I had two months left before graduation, and because my parents made it very clear that you cannot date this person while you are living in this house, I said, I'll show you, and I ran away from home. Little did I know that that decision would change the entire trajectory of my life. I thought I was going to teach them a lesson. But before you know it, this once good student, this once good girl, this once straight A 4.0 full ride scholarship became a high school dropout. I didn't even have a high school degree. And now I'm living on the run with this boy. And as you can imagine, two young, foolish 18-year-olds with no money and no home is a bad mix. So not only did our relationship go from unhealthy and unbalanced, it became toxic. 
Now time went on and eventually he got tired of me. We broke up. After this, it had been about a year and a half of me not speaking to my family, not speaking to my old friends. And again, I met with the label rejection. There you go, Karina. You weren't enough. You're all alone. So I returned back home, and I thought that when I left, I had hit the pause button on my life, and that I would just hit play again and pick up the pieces and we keep it going. But everything was different. My parents got older, and so did my sister. My room changed. The way that they looked at me was different, rightfully so. They didn't know me. I wasn't the same person I was before. So not only did I have the label of rejection, I then also had the new labels of addict, disappointment, worthless, toxic individual. Isn't it interesting how quickly our bad decisions can spiral out of control? How they can manipulate us and make us really believe that our desires are better than what God wants for us. I want to go back to the story of Hosea and Gomer. You see, at the end of chapter 2, something beautiful happens in Hosea's heart. Again, his wife left him. He was crushed. Walked out on his children, a single parent. He's the one now driving them to the PTA stuff in the car lines, waiting for hours, giving up his free time with the boys, playing dominoes to go and play dolls. But he was doing it. But he was wrecked. And he had every right to leave Gomer. But instead, a heart shift happens. He starts looking for his wife. At the end of chapter 2 and leading into chapter 3, we see that there is this softness and no longer a bitterness. But we also find Gomer again. And we find her searching for love in all the wrong places. And poor Gomer, she, she ran out of luck. She's had three kids. Her body don't look the same. Her old lovers know that. So they're done with her. And so eventually, the free love she gave away, she had to start bribing people with different things. Before you know it, Gomer found herself in a slave auction. She had collected so many debts with these guys who loved her that she now had to sell her life and her soul to pay back her debts. I want to paint this scene real quick. I could imagine Gomer probably fully nude, shackled, standing there in the middle of the auction with other women and people, hair covering her face because she is so full of shame. The thought of looking another human being in the eyes terrified her. And she's there waiting for people to start claiming her and to buy her. And then all of a sudden, she hears a familiar voice. She hears the voice of someone who has always loved her. The voice of Hosea rise above the crowd and says, I will give you all that I have. Everything I have. Take my wallet. Take my home. Take my kids' toys. That is my wife. I'm going to buy her in freedom. And so in Hosea 3, verse 1, 
the Lord says this to Hosea. He says, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another level lover, this will illustrate the love that God still has for Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Hosea, a good, faithful guy, had been heartbroken, but trusted God in that moment. He returned back for his wife, he bought her out of slavery. But again, God used that story of their marriage to illustrate what he does for us. Us too have found ourselves in the pit of death. Our souls being entangled with lies, with trauma, with heartache. But a redeemer saying, I will give everything for her. I will give all I have for him. They are mine. Here's what's so beautiful. Hosea had every right to leave his wife who left him and his children, but he didn't. God has every right to turn his back on the children that do not serve him or love him, but he doesn't. God's compassion is far greater than our mistakes. I'm going to say that again. God's compassion over your life is far greater than your mistakes you have done or you did right before you walked in here. He loves you. He is pursuing you. And we all know what it's like to lose something valuable, especially when you're in a rush and you lose your phone, right? And you're frantically looking, you're thinking, where the heck did that thing go? When you lose something valuable, you will do anything to find it. When God sees that you are lost and stranded, he will do anything to let you know that you are found. He has not left you. He loves you. Hosea's story is all about God's redeeming love for his people. It's so much deeper than just a love story. He desires to bring eternal hope and love and value to you. For years, you guys, years, I was searching, searching for acceptance, searching for that very love. For years, I did not believe that I deserved it because I carried the label of rejection. And what is so wild is that I found myself not only carrying the label, but living a life of rejection. I had believed it so much that I claimed it over my actions. But God wasn't done. You see, it wasn't until I was 24 years old when I met my Joel. At 24 years old, I had actually found out I was pregnant. I moved back home with my mom and dad because I was not with the person who got me pregnant. We had just broken up. I didn't have a job at the time. I was kind of doing some waitresses stuff here and there, but nothing stable. I had just gotten my GED, so I was excited about that, but now I found out that I'm supposed to be responsible for another life. And I remember in my darkest moments, I had a time when I was pregnant at only 10 weeks old, and I was laying 10 weeks along. And I was laying there and I was thinking to myself, there is no way that I can take care of another human being when I can barely take care of myself. I 
just wish something bad would happen so I don't have to deal with this. And I think in the deepest, darkest peace in my heart, I said those things because I believed that that baby would reject me like everyone else. I was afraid I wouldn't know how to love or how to receive love. I remember one night I woke up and I was having a really hard time breathing and I ran in my uh, parents' bedroom, because again, I was living back at home, and I'm waking them up, I'm like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And I always kind of been like a drama queen, like, shocker, I know. But I always kind of been like a drama queen. <laughs> so my parents were kind of like, just breathe, it's okay, you're fine. You know, like, don't you hate that, though? When you're not feeling fine, and the people are telling you you're fine, you're like, I'm not fine! <laughs> like, that's, I'm a little frantic right now. But I did know that something was actually seriously wrong with my body. And so my dad being the good dad that he was, again, the dad who didn't have to love me but chose to love me, he got up about five in the morning, made his coffee, put on his little hat, his khaki shorts, his button-down polo, took me to the ER. And I remember I was greeted by a wave of doctors out of nowhere, and I've never gotten, like, VIP service at the ER. Usually you're waiting for hours. You're like, oh, my gosh, wow, so nice. <laughs> But they're like, yeah, we're in here because we have some really bad news. It was in that moment that they told me that my heart was failing. That I had been diagnosed with something called dilated cardiomyopathy. Here's the irony of this disease. It actually enlarges your heart. And we always think that like a big heart is a good thing. And figuratively speaking, yes. But in the physical way, it was killing me. And then I found out that the reason my heart had gotten so ill and weak was because of the pregnancy. The baby inside of me, though, the baby was thriving and growing, was actually the being that was taking the life out of me. I was so scared, as you can imagine. I was only 24. I hadn't gotten it right yet. I had no purpose. And I remember in that moment this wave of calmness that I've never experienced before entered in my body. I could see everyone talking, but I couldn't hear them. And that was the moment that I know that God got my attention to say, are you ready to receive your Joel? I am here to redeem you, to restore you to save you. I had heard about this good God, this good Father for so long. But because my earthly bio dad rejected me, I honestly thought that God had always just kind of looked down at me and had pitied for me, kind of lowered the bar a little bit. But in that moment my time of facing death, God said, I'm ready to buy you out of the pit of death if you are. I've come to save you and your child. And so in that moment, you guys, I had to choose. Was it going to be life or was it going to be death? And again, they told me that the baby was killing me, and this is not for me to, to preach on something different, so please don't get distracted. This is just my story. But in that moment, I had a wave of peace and calmness knowing that I had to do everything I could to make sure her little life got here, even if that meant mine died. Yeah. 
do you know that that is the love that our Heavenly Father has for you? That He sent, mm, He sent His Son for you and me? He sent Him to hang on that cross after beatings, torment, and torture to die in place of us. Not only did he die, but he also conquered death. You see, before that, our story always ended in death. But with Jesus and with him conquering the grave, it ended in love. It ended in life, in mercy, in grace. I want to share this verse, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. It tells us that, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. That is good news because that means that there is nothing we can do to be saved, that God just loves us and says, here is all of my grace and all of my mercy. I'm saving you because I am a good father, because I love you, because I no longer want you to be stuck in the pit of death, that you have a story that is greater than what you might even think. Here's what's beautiful, you guys, about redemption. We often think that redemption just stops when we say yes to Jesus, we invite him in, his, in our heart, and we're good. No. Redemption is after. It's what he continues to do in your life. God redeems every piece of your story. You see, that moment when I was in the hospital bed happened seven years ago, and yes, that was the moment God saved me. It was the moment he saved my daughter. He helped me get through the hardest time, but for the past seven years, he has been redeeming every lie I once believed about myself. No longer was I the girl with the label of rejection, but with acceptance. No longer did I have to live a life that was purposeless. It now had purpose. I never would have imagined that I'd be here. If you knew me over a decade ago, you would say, I ain't taking advice from her. She's crazy. But God is that good. So I need you to know that maybe you're in here and you're saying, wow, that was a cool story. But I don't really relate with that. That's okay. Your story is unique. It is uniquely wrote for you. And here is the cool thing about our story. God desires to use our story for his glory. And so no matter the amount of trauma or heartache or none of that that you've had. Your story is a tool that you get to use to share with those about your Joel, your Redeemer, Jehovah Joel. God, my Redeemer. I feel like I need to just hit this before we close tonight. If you are in this room, a single parent, or you are a child of a divorced home, a blended family, an adoptive family, you do not get less. Your child does not get less. He is a God of more. And the redemption in your story pours out not only in your life, but in the lives of your parents, in the lives of your child. 
for everyone else in the room, God is actively redeeming your story. He is not done. So I want to ask you guys to stand up. We're going to go into a time, an intimate time, with our Jehovah Joel. There's no big prompting. I want you to spend time with your dad, your heavenly father, the one who loves you. This may feel weird, but just close your eyes for a minute with me. Pretend there's no one else in this space or in this room. This might be your time to just breathe. Your time to just say thank you. If you have nothing else to speak, say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jehovah, Joel. You are good, you are perfect, and you are holy.